New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're at episode 497. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and today, two special guests from Spark, uh, Renee Mataparai. How are you, Renee? Great, thanks, Paul. Nice Have, to be here. Thank you for coming in. And Tony Agar. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having us. Great to have you both here. Now, did I pronounce your names correctly? I think I was a little yep. bit off. No, that was, pretty, that was pretty good. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let, let's jump in. Um, first of all, a huge thank you to all our show partners that make the New Zealand Tech Podcast uh, possible. Um, of course, that includes Spark. So thank you, Team Spark. Also, Sumo Logic, Vodafone, Vocus, HP, Samsung, Gorilla Technology, and Umbrella Connect. Now, today I'm very keen to dive in here a little bit about what's happening in the in the Spark world, but also there's there's a bunch of uh, news from around the the tech world of uh, of some interest. And um, first first up, Alphabet and their their balloons. The uh, what initially I guess we heard about they were testing them in the South Island of New Zealand, the Google Loon, and. You know, I guess there to address some of the challenges that we, you know, we've had in terms of how do you get connectivity, how do you get internet to sort of, you know, the far-reaching, um, you know, parts of, you know, a particular country mm. or, um, you know, any part of the world basically. And you know, it was really interesting that you know Google originally chose New Zealand as as a as a um, place to uh, try that technology out. And now they've actually gone ahead after it's quite some years now. Yeah, a couple um, of years. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know, finally they've sort of formally uh, launched this commercially. I, I do remember hearing that there may have been some use of the technology um, in disaster recovery. And, yeah, I think, yeah, in Puerto Rico and possibly in, in other locations. But uh, yeah, they've they've now got a, a formal service in uh, Kenya. Yeah, it was really interesting. I think there's there is definitely some interesting stuff going on in the in the space realm in the various uh, stratospheres. Um, but it's interesting just that they're now launching this as a non-emergency service, so something that will reliably keep people who haven't been connected previously connected. Um, and some of the service was was pretty good, um, from what I read. Yeah, well, it's, it's nice to have other options for connectivity, right? Where, where um, whether it's you know because it's hard to get uh, fixed connectivity, which we mm. you know certainly see um, in some parts of the world, and and we see it you know outside of our urban centres here in New Zealand, right? You can't run fibre to yeah, New know, Zealand's every, every, every single um, you know location. <laughs> yeah, and you, you're seeing that with the. Um, satellite connectivity now becoming more available and more um, uh, commercially viable for a lot more solutions as well. Mm. And that's opening other opportunities up as well. So, yeah, I thought it was interesting that they've you know initially committing to um, cover. Fifty thousand square kilometres. This is a this is a um, huge space, and and it's um, a whole network of connected balloons. Balloons that are sort of you know moving upwards and up and down, and you know uh, remote controlled so that they catch the you know the the right uh, movements and can sort of stay providing that coverage. Thirty five balloons across that fifty thousand you know square kilometre area. And um, average speeds, 
that you know they don't they don't sound you know rubbish for yeah. a wireless uh, connection, eighteen megabits down and you know close to five megabits up. So yeah, I mean, I mean I'm sure that's their peak speeds, but still. When in regions where you're just using phones, right? It's a yeah. perfectly acceptable experience. I think going through the the whole COVID nineteen process just showed how much people need to be connected, um, especially people who are remote, right? So getting into being able to get in touch with doctors and stuff, it just became impossible to get in touch any other way. So, Yeah, I think it, it's pretty hard for us here in New Zealand to you know, imagine some of the challenges that, that do exist in remote parts of the world where yeah, connectivity has been you know, non, non-existent in some cases mm. other than uh, by satellite, which has traditionally been you know, incredibly expensive and incredibly slow. Now, yeah. That obviously is improving and um, yeah, I think yeah. New Zealand's pretty lucky with the amount of population coverage we've got, but there's still quite big parts of New Zealand that aren't covered um, and parts of the population, so there's still quite a big job to do. Yeah, I mean, how long do you see that journey going on for? It's kind of, I mean, we're, we're never going to we're never going to get <laughs> to a point where we've got fibre probably to you know every remote location, right? So there is going to be a, a mix of forms of connectivity for a long yeah, time. Yeah, I think that's where this stuff becomes quite interesting, right? How we can over time roll out different variations of connectivity to get lots of people connected, but also lots of things connected, not just people. Yeah. yeah, and the, you can see that in the rural areas that, you know, there are wholesale internet service providers that are doing their own thing, building their own point-to-point networks for each type of use case. So where there's a will, there's a way, there's the rural broadband initiative going through. Mm-hmm. So it is about filling up with the right networks that fit the um, population and the needs. It's not about rolling out 5G to the entire country. That's never going to be viable or, or doable. But it is good to see these other connectivity opportunities coming through and being tested. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and that's giving value to everyone everywhere in New Zealand. So. I think it'll be a fair few years before it gets everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, I mean, these these things uh, yeah, tend to go where... Yeah, they can justify their existence. Uh, And, you know, we've seen that with the ultra-fast broadband with the fibre connectivity. uh, And, you know, it's ended up stretching out, you know, a lot more than it was initially, Mm. you know, envisaged to with the, um, you know, the first stage of the ultra-fast broadband where I think we were going to have, you know, three quarters of the population uh, hit. And, Mm. you know, now we're, what, targeting over 85%, which is is a pretty significant sort of increase in terms of those, you know, the smaller population areas that have been um, being covered so yeah yeah, Yeah. it's good Um, now something that I wanted to uh, mention I was um, as as I do um, was talking to uh, TV3's AM show yesterday morning and I you know tend to have a chat with them every um, you know couple of weeks and when we were discussing sort of well What's the what's the topic to talk about this week? Um, it it really sort of got me thinking around. Well, what stories are there that are going to be really relevant? You know, to to people and something that had come across my mind was how do we move our economy forward? And you know, what is a challenging period? We're in this unique position. 
as as a country, well, you know, one of only a, a handful where it's it's pretty safe to be right now. And looking at uh, you know different friends and, and tech firms and other firms around the world, where you know they were telling me, well, you know, I don't expect to be back in the office for another sort of six months or or, mm. or so. And we we have had this um, also this movement of people coming back to New Zealand. You know, talked about it as the the reverse brain drain. Yeah. Um, um, which you know, I guess, just triggered some thoughts. You know, could we could we actually increase that? And not just see you know some of our best and brightest Kiwis that, are, and we're told there's about a million Kiwis that are you know outside of the country. Um, so you know, hopefully we see you know a lot of our, our smartest people coming back to New Zealand during this window uh, of time, um, drip fed at an appropriate rate that doesn't um, you know flood our our hotels and um, our ability to. You know, bring them back into the country, and obviously, probably some some challenges there on a housing front. If it all happened too quickly, um, but maybe we could sort of squeeze in there um, people that aren't aren't Kiwis. And my thought was sort of a, a, the idea of having some of those you know top technology companies actually set up you know, proper operations here not just sales operations so we're, you know we're used to you know, most of the big tech companies eventually they end up with a you know some sort of an operation in New Zealand but it is predominantly you know just just sales mm. um, and and that idea if, you know if we could see those top sort of Silicon Valley companies maybe there's room for startups there and so on as well um, if, if in some way we could um, funnel a few of those in, and I don't know, you know, what number would be would be appropriate. You'd have to time it in such a way that it was going to be safe. They would still need to go through a, a quarantine process, you know. And I'm I'm sure any any um, you know big tech company can afford to pay for accommodation and whatever those costs are to move a bit of a workforce here. But yeah, it did get me wondering: Have we got a little bit of an opportunity here for uh, uh, for New Zealand? And and I guess it's not so much just about the short term because these things take a long time to happen, right? It's just you know getting some ideas going, um, starting some discussions, and seeing well, is there an opportunity now to kind of wave a bit of a flag and say yeah. you know, hey, tech world, New Zealand is a place where the uh, place to be. Where, where you should be, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I love the idea of how we can work out as New Zealand how to make lemonade out of lemons. Right, it's been a tough first yeah. six months, <laughs> and so what's the stuff that we can do as a country to position? ourselves to come out of it even better than we were before. I think all of the different opportunities in there are pretty exciting. The opportunities around innovation and what people can do um, in the new world is is pretty exciting. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah and if you think about it, health and safety has become foremost after COVID in one specific yep. area, yeah. but it's opened the door to looking at all the areas around health and safety compliance that we're short on and actually the opportunities if you look at forestry you look at department of conservation the the ability to do other things with the money that you're going to direct by coming up with really good innovation in tech to do that means you can start to open up other opportunities and that's where I think we could stand up internationally and put our hands up and say there's use cases here that are very specific you know it could be pest control at the moment there's massive opportunity in that area and if we use uh, some of that innovation else that's already there 
combined with compliance and you know a bit of old-fashioned return on investment, mm. then I think there's real opportunities to partner. And we're seeing that already from some of our sort of Australasian or overseas partners who want to get involved in particular use cases. So it would be great to see if that turned into people actually coming on shore and working through them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we do have that that challenge, and you know, I hear I hear it a fair bit. Or you know, whether it's um, you know the zeros and sort of bigger tech companies who you know struggle to locally find this you know the skill sets that they need, uh, or whether it's you know, smaller firms that are you know just just looking for level ex- expertise that you know, just doesn't always exist in New Zealand. And mm. you know, if we could sort of bulk up and and uh, um, you know, maybe have a few more entities. Then there, there would it would be easier, I guess, for people with certain skill sets to come to New Zealand, knowing that you know they've actually got a, a reasonably broad choice of you know employers. If you know you go to Silicon Valley and and you're a you know a software developer or you know have have that sort of right um, skills mix to be able to operate there, a lot of those people if they came to New Zealand, yeah, they might not have. You know, many choices, or in some cases, sort of, you know, any choices that are that are an ideal fit. So, yeah, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to to see whether there's whether there's any interest in uh, in yeah. that approach. But I, you know, I always think we need to be looking out, you know, five, ten, twenty, thirty years, and looking at, yeah, you know, how do we make sure that we're well positioned for the future, and. Uh, there was a report from uh, Technology Investment Network that came out at the end of last year uh, indicating, look, with the, the growth that we're seeing in the technology sector growing by you know, over a billion dollars a year, and we don't know how COVID will impact that, um, but at, at, at that stage there was a suggestion, look, three to five years, tech could be New Zealand's biggest uh, export earner. Be amazing. And mm. look, maybe that, that you know, equation will be um, even more accelerated in terms of uh, certainly, you know, what what's happening from a uh, perspective of tourism. Um, and obviously, we've got challenges and sort mm. of the education side. We had a lot of people coming into New Zealand to be educated. So I think we just have to look for those opportunities and um, hopefully we land on the right things and, and, and do things that... Um, yeah, are a good benefit for everyone long term. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now, on to uh, Soul Machines and um, their digital humans. Uh, now, I spoke to uh, Soul Machines on on a podcast during the um, uh, during the the, the lockdown uh, and. It's it's been really interesting, I guess, watching their their journey, and this seems like you know quite a quite a big deal actually for um, the World Health Organization and Soul Machines to uh, to you know partner up, and I think they're they're working on uh, two fronts. One is in terms of trying to uh, combat the misinformation that there is going mm-hmm. around as far as uh, COVID, and the other is on trying to um, help people quit smoking. Mm. Now, until you know, I saw their release. I didn't realise the scale of of um, smokers that sort of still exists in the you know broader world at large. And they're talking um, that there's more than a billion tobacco smokers in the world right now. That's, yeah. a, that's a really huge 
uh, you know, percentage. I don't know what our numbers are, you know, here in New Zealand now, but it's, it's nowhere near at that, mm. that sort of level would be would be my take. Uh, so, look, if we can use technology to you know, really help bring you know clear and concise and and easy to sort of access information in a in a manner that people um, click with, yeah, it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah, for, I mean, if we can use technology to drive better health outcomes for people, I think the the cool thing about that is just the way that technology can scale in this case, right? So you've got, I think your name was Florence, <laughs> um, yeah, and yeah. and she can be talking to millions of people at the same time um, on individual conversations um, and then refer them on to people that can help with a quit smoking plan. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And look, the the experience of normal IVR transfer over and calls and everything else isn't, it can be the kind of thing that you get off for that interactive experience, even though it might still have the same background of information, it can change the experience. I mean, even simple things a few years ago like chat completely changed everything and that's just effectively interactive texting. So yeah. this mm. is opening a whole other level. This is sort of that next level on top of the, the chat yeah. box that, yeah, that we've chat seen in recent real. years. Yeah. yeah, We had a showcase on this at one of our um, conferences two or three years ago and it was already sort of getting some momentum in but it's great to see real world use cases coming out and being used because at that stage it was still a little bit sort of sci-fi so it's, yeah, yeah, lots of opportunity in that area. But, but, and also using it for educational purposes and health purposes rather than like the person that greets you at the hotel door sort yeah. of thing, it just <laughs> gives it that bigger picture. Yeah well I, you know I think we're used to we're used to going online to get information yeah. And so, you know, this idea of that sort of mix of a, you know, more personal type of interaction uh, that gives us the information and, you know, you're able to sort of explore in all sorts of different areas, you know, and effectively, you know, I guess sitting, sitting behind there or inside the the virtual head of your mm. you know your digital human you know as as just you know this this huge depth of of uh, knowledge and of course these experiences are only going to get better and yep. better you know over over time um, but obviously there's there's quite a level of confidence already in you know what soul machines and and mm. and others are uh, are doing that you see the world health organization sort of, you know getting involved in this and um, you know, when I saw the release, I you know I think it was, um, yeah, they 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 weren't, um, you know, just just quoting um, from the New Zealand side. You know, there's there's a quote there from the director of um, health promotion at WHO. So you know, this wow. is a is a I think they're they're pretty serious in terms of their involvement. Yeah. And yeah, I really hope we'll we'll see more of this uh, develop. Yeah. It's a pretty cool space. It is interesting putting a face to these um, AIs. What does Siri look like? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I mean there are, I think so many aspects of it that are that are still sort of you know yet to be explored and and figured out. And you know when when are we going to see these things walking around with skin on them though? Yeah, <laughs> not just on a screen. That's going to be a bit freaky, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll be talking uh, more about um, robot dogs in the next uh, few weeks, so I'm I'm off to uh, uh, have a have a look at one of those shortly. Ooh, that's exciting. Um, now, uh, uh, something that caught my uh, 
attention this morning. Oh, I should mention, um, in terms of uh, soul machines, for those who are interested in maybe uh, finding out a little bit more, I did chat with uh, Greg Cross, um, who's the um, CEO there on a New Zealand uh, tech podcast uh, during the lockdown. So that is in in there in our um, podcast feed for those that are sort of interested in in um, learning a little bit more about uh, digital digital humans and and really what's going on within um, their business. Um, but a, another uh, company who actually they haven't had much coverage here in New Zealand, but a, a fascinating company, Silver Peak uh, Systems, who are in, involved in the world of. Uh, SD-WAN, Software Defined Wide Area Networks. Now, um, for the non, I guess, uh, network technology person, that may not uh, mean a whole lot, um, but uh, Dr. David Hughes that uh, founded Silver Peak Systems about uh, 16 years ago uh, is a Kiwi and he's been involved in uh, in the Silicon Valley area for you know quite a, quite a long time, um, spent years at Cisco and, and other firms. Um, but they've just closed or uh, announced a um, an acquisition by Hewlett Packard uh, Enterprise uh, worth 1.4 uh, billion New Zealand dollars. So Not too um, bad. it's always good to see you know Kiwis succeeding, whether it's yep. you know at yep. home or, or on the uh, uh, the global stage. So yeah, I thought that was uh, that was that was pretty uh, pretty pleasing to hear. And um, with that acquisition. Uh, which I, th- I think is tied to the um, Aruba uh, networking division of um, HPE, we'll probably see access to their technology, you know, um, probably a little a little bit easier. And you know, Silver Peak, although you know, being a, you know, a billion dollar uh, plus business, um, you know, when you're when you're connected under an even bigger brand, the, the technology will become um, easier to access. Mm. Uh, and we, we were uh, looking. Looking at uh, you know just how good Silver Peak's uh, technology uh, was, and they were in uh, Gartner's way of measuring these things with their uh, their magic uh, quadrant. Uh, in one of the particular areas where, where Silver Peak featured, they were uh, I think you know right up sort of top right, right. one one back from the the top uh, player, and the rest of the networking world sort of you know sitting sitting behind them. So yeah. very very innovative company um, and and led and founded by uh, a mm. Kiwi who's who's had an integral role in uh, inventing their technology you know since since day one so um, yeah very pleasing to hear yeah very interesting article I think we're starting to see some of the future of networking and moving into the edge space and once you combine edge compute with uh, with networking it becomes quite interesting yeah I mean we I've dabbled a little bit with some of their technology um, in, in in the past with uh, with my team at, at at gorilla but yeah mostly they've sort of geared up for you know reasonably large large scale um, you know businesses but yeah. Uh, yeah very very competitive and, and very you know compelling um, offerings so yeah now on to our uh, next uh, Topic and oops, I've lost my place here. Bear with, bear with me. Um, 
There has been, as there always is, lots of new uh, technology coming into the market and a couple of things I just wanted to uh, talk about that I've been uh, trying out uh, recently. Amazon's Echo Auto. Now, do either of you use a, um, a voice assistant at all? Yes. Yes, yes quite regularly. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Definitely at home, not in the car yet, though. Yeah, so this was an interesting transition for mm-hmm. me from having, um, you know, Alexa in, in the home and... You know, we we I guess covered Alexa, you know, very early on in, in Alexa's journey here on the podcast uh, when they were first launched in the in the in the states in a kind of in a limited access. We managed to get one quite early on, uh, and it's been interesting just sort of following the journey of this technology. And of course, we've got voice assistants everywhere and yeah. digital humans, and you know, it, it really has expanded. And I thought, well, what can Amazon Alexa do for me in the car that um, you know other the other technologies can't yeah and I th- the answer for me was that if you're invested in a particular ecosystem and say you've got Amazon Alexa in your home uh, it's just really natural having that option uh, mm. in the car and so it's just it's a little device it's about the size of a, of a cell phone or a small cell phone. What do you mostly use it for? What do you ask it to do? Um, well the mo- I mean the most common thing I do with, with Alexa is getting sort of news updates there's yeah. a bunch of podcasts and content that I like to listen to in the morning Yeah. but sometimes I'm sort of running around and I don't you I don't get a chance to do so and it's all sort of you know stacked up with you know bits of tech news and podcast news and so on and um, you know local local news as well and so that that is my most common use and of course you know tied up with some you know other things at home in terms of you know adjusting lights and yeah. you know turning a um, a heater you know a fan on and and, and so on that you can do yeah. Um, those things, not so you know, not so relevant in the car. Um, I'm still not sure whether Alexa will have will have a permanent home in my vehicle or not. Yeah. Um, so basically, you've got your Alexa. It's it, you need to sort of mount it somewhere. So that's probably the first you know downside in terms of you know messing with your car a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like it just adds a bit more you know junk into into your car um, and with the Tesla it's it's a very minimal you know vehicle anyway so you're kind of like oh where do, you know where, where, do, where do I stick this but it has its I know it's maybe an array of eight microphones on it or something so in terms of hearing you above music and other stuff that's going on um, you, you know, don't have to yell out of it when the music's on well in theory <laughs> but uh, that's you know, what I do with my Google Assistant yeah, yeah. turn the music down and yell at it so, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah there's a level of you know we still don't have have absolute per, you know, perfection there, but um, yeah, it's, it seems to work quite well, and it sort of it, it funnels the it funnels through your phone basically. Mm. So your phone um, has a Bluetooth connection to um, you know your um, stereo system in the in the car, and, um, but it uses its own mics, and it does you know mm. uh, I guess it, it links up there with your oh, and it also has buttons on it, so you can sort of you know you can tap the button that that means it's going to stop listening to what you're saying mm. and you can you know just tap the other button to sort of activate it which you don't necessarily need to do because you can just say Alexa um, but I guess that you know that mm. that gives you that option to be able to so yeah it was questionable to me well do you need this couldn't this all be in an app on, on your phone it'll be interesting to 
as soon as they start building it into the cars, right? So as we start getting more connected cars, does one of the voice assistants win out or do they need to support all of them and they just come ready in the car to go, connected into everything? So it seems like a good approach, doesn't it, to have, but maybe to have all of the ecosystems available, right, and have it all built in, because the built-in mics always seem to be far better than if yeah. you, if you, you know, add a system into your, you know, car, yeah. you know, afterwards. They always seem a bit more clunky when you add them in afterwards, right? Yeah. The, yeah. It's interesting that what you use the ecosystem for, so why you mainly use that for directions or ring this person, so I do a little bit of phoning and, the, you know, maybe not so much listing things. Yep. I've found that, you know, one ecosystem works better than the other for certain things. Yep. Uh, and it depends obviously on the applications you're using. For example, Google Maps goes well with a Google Assistant, yep. etc. So it'd be interesting to see if people start doing more in their cars outside of that with information sharing. Because mm-hmm. I've, you know, looking at addresses or businesses, etc., that's easy. But if I start to try and access my email, or things that are going not so good. Yeah. There yeah. was a quite cool example in the article I read that was saying, I think it was in the States potentially, where you could you could ask Alexa to pay for your petrol. So pay, yeah, so that's, that's pay quite for my cool. gas. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I've, I don't know if either of you tried it, but um, Zed have their um, app now, and yeah, you can set up this fast lane thing. So basically, you just drive in, fill up with gas, and drive yeah. away. It yeah. recognises your license plate, and uh, you know, it's just kind of hands cool. off. And obviously, in this sort of you know COVID era, in terms of you know touchless and uh, mm. you know everything else, not that there's a robot there that you know actually pumps the gas for you or anything. <laughs> um, ju- just just yet. I still wonder when they're going to do some basic things like that. But um, yeah, it's it's still it's nice to have those uh, have those options, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, making life a bit easier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other gadget that I've been uh, trying recently, uh, again, this is one of these sort of technologies we've talked about on the show since you know, for a reasonable period of time before it was available in New Zealand. Um, the Ring products, the Ring doorbells and you know security uh, products. Uh, their latest one, the Ring 3 Plus, so I've swapped out what was on my front door with the Ring uh, 3 Plus. Um, it's $419. To me... I don't know. It feels a, a little bit expensive. We're quite a long way down the track with, um, you know, with this technology. Um, that's that said, I wouldn't be without this type of technology. Um, you know, whether it's Ring or or another brand, it's really handy. And in, you know, my case is there. You know, two properties. Uh, one of them, um, we have a um, the Ring floodlight camera, and that covers the driveway onto the property so basically anyone coming or leaving the property you've always got some you know high definition Mm. sort of you know footage of that now you know whether some people would be upset that their footage was taken as they came onto the property maybe we need to have a sign that says you're you're under surveillance um and and these are you know i guess you're going to be ongoing things and challenges we have as society because yeah, not everyone is that comfortable about the you know the the level of um, I guess yeah surveillance that that happens. Um, but I don't know if you can really put a stop on that. I mean, in the uh, you know in the in in the car now Tesla and I know BMW are doing the same where 
you know the the built-in cameras that are there to help you get around safely mm. are, are now being converted to to dash cams, and of course we've yeah. had dash cams for for years. So there's just so much uh, so much footage being being stored, isn't there? Yeah. Well, it's that it's that balance between the benefits. I mean, that there are health and safety benefits. And companies at the moment putting dash cams in for long distance drivers to yep. detect and actually do things to make sure they don't fall asleep at the wheel. Which I was is horrified great. to see yeah. how often that happens. So you get those things, but then obviously there's another business opportunity or there's a security and safety opportunity. And I mean, I think what you said is right, the horse has already bolted when it comes to video surveillance in homes. I, I've lost count of the number of Facebook posts I've seen where someone's stolen something and the image has gone up on Facebook. Yeah. Have you seen this person? So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, I mean, look with the with the um, with the Ring Three Plus, and they, you know they keep bringing out these generations. One thing they've done is they've uh, relaunched. I'm not sure if it's here in New Zealand yet or not, but they've relaunched sort of their base Ring um, doorbell, but mm. with higher definition and and just refreshed it. Uh, in the US, I think they're selling that for ninety nine dollars. So, I mean, probably with GST and everything else, mm. lands maybe one hundred and ninety nine here. But certainly the technology is very accessible. Um, the three plus has got the ability to sort of you know hot swap the the batteries so you don't have to uh. unplug it and spend half a day you know charging it which is is convenient um, and it's got a couple of extra cameras that do a um, sort of a cropped wide angle uh, black and white video but that's sort of going all the time so um, basically it's able to pick up a few seconds of footage before somebody pressed the button or before it detected any motion mm. um, so so I guess this is, you know, Ring started as the, you know, the first people with these, you know, sort of video doorbells that, you know, captured the, the video to the cloud and would, you know, push a live video feed out to your, you know, out to your phone, you know, which is handy, right? You're not at home, courier turns up, you're maybe just down the road or something, you've been waiting for something uh, and you have a, you know, a, li a live call with them or, or the other end of the scale, you know, I've, I've had in past times where you know, I'm overseas and someone's yeah, turned up at the, at the door and you can have that sort of you know quick quick chat or whatever or tell them leave it with the neighbour or you know whatever needs to uh, needs to happen. as far as they need to know you're just inside. You're just inside, so yeah. Don't, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, if it, if it, if it were a were a burglar, you've got um, yeah, you've got the video footage and yeah, you might convince them that you're actually there. So uh, yeah. yeah, I think you know it's good to see that technology developing. It's you know, slowly slowly getting better. I don't think we're seeing any huge big uh, leaps, mm. um, but it's no. also becoming a lot more mainstream and there's lots of other vendors in, the, in that space as well um, you know tested out some of the t uh, technology from uh, from Nest and um, what's the other player the, the name will come back to me we've been trying out some of their stuff as well so mm. yeah good to have those options and of course because our homes are more and more connected this this stuff becomes a you know it works a whole lot better when we've got good fast connectivity good Wi-Fi around the place it, it seems to work you know reasonably reasonably flawlessly yeah so, absolutely yeah. I mean it's amazing the number of connected things you can have in your house now yeah 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 it's interesting I, I just bought a new build and the, the, um, the builder had said oh it's not that it's not that high tech I'm not big into the new connected house but yeah he still had a, a he didn't have a ring solution on the door but he still had a door um, camera video intercom he had the digital lock door and quite a few things he didn't even think were high tech so you know and then he showed us one of the places that he had kitted out and it was like okay 
that's what I need to do to this house. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Well, uh, yeah, I guess the, the the sort of the base level just keeps getting yeah. higher and higher, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And on that, did you have Ethernet around the place, or was it all sort of? It was all wired and piped, and obviously, I'd come from another pl- an older place, and I, you know, I'd been going through the dramas of having to see how I could get fibre installed, and that was already there. Yeah. And so my biggest choice was what speeds to get, and then once you get the speeds and start utilising everything, everything changes and the opportunities you get out of the back of that, mm-hmm. which is probably what's going to happen with 5G going forward. You know? Yeah. Oh, it's it's great to yeah see that continued um, momentum. Now, keen to get a bit of an update of what's happening in the in the world of Spark. Yeah. Um, first up, I'm just a, a little bit curious of um, you know operation during um, during COVID and you know how did it, how did it work for um, both of you? What it was like for you, Tony? <laughs> Well, I work for Renee, so I was told what to do. But that's all. <laughs> no. Um, no, we uh, we already um, we're a national group anyway, and we already were pretty good with how we worked from home. Yeah, but we got a lot better. I'd say that was the mm. big thing. The technology moved very quickly during that space. We were talking about that before, um, and as much as there were a lot of challenges around culturally how we adapted to being isolated in fact we actually probably got some of our regional people closer to our team so there was yeah, some real yeah that's good isn't it I, yeah. I think you know we, we saw that as well as those people that maybe you're not seeing all the time you mm. sort of you know it was easier to you know wrap them into you know more regular um, you know video meetings and, and, yeah. and so on and so yeah it's sort of um, it, it did put everyone on a more equal sort of playing field in terms of, you know, as though you were all in, in one location or or, yeah. or the opposite, as though nobody nobody is, which was kind of what it was like. But um, yeah, that that was um, you know I think actually probably really good in a lot of cases. Yeah, definitely. Like it definitely shrunk the um, distance between people. I think strangely, we were all um, working um, working from home, and uh, but you could connect with people. We ended up spending most of the day on VCs with different people and everybody could um, engage in the conversations in the same way. Yeah. Um, it's been quite interesting transitioning them back into the office where we've got a mix of both. Yep. Um, but I think definitely it just called out the fact we needed to step up the game in terms of digital inclusion and making sure that we had the right tools to just make it work and work easily. Mm. Yeah, I think it did. I mean, here in New Zealand where we had so much fibre, we really were were in a strong position, certainly for those people that were in fibre connected locations and I noticed that sort of in comparison with some other parts of the world where it was, was, you know, a lot more variable. and then for those that sort of outside outside fibre, you know, still everyone seems to have seem to have connectivity. Yeah. Um, there may be some limitations with with performance in different locations, and um, you know how you deal with data caps when you're using you know constant uh, video. Yeah. And so on. I mean, I, I think it was great that the industry came out and took off the the data caps for yeah. the period of lockdown, and so people just didn't need to have that worry. Mm. Um, but it meant that it, there was a huge increase 
increase in the amount of traffic of people learning, working, and um, hanging out from home. Was that was that hard if, as Spark in terms of you know how did you, how you managed and and dealt with those we, challenges? Mean, we were really proud with how the network performed. Um, there was a significant increase in in the amount people were doing online, yeah. um, and quite a change in in the patterns. So a lot a lot more traffic during the daytime than we would normally see but it held up amazingly well and we were able to support lots of you know all the kids learning from home and people working from home so it was it it went really well Mm. now Renee tell me what's happening on the 5G front because Spark now has some 5G yep. uh, spectrum that's been uh, allocated. So, yeah. how, do, how does how does that look? What does the future hold for us on a 5G front? Yeah, well, so we rolled out um, some limited 5G done in the South Island at the end of last year, but it was it was purely based around a wireless broadband product. So that's right. So fixed fixed access, um, and that was really just us testing out and seeing what we could do. Um, now with the what was called a C-band auction, um, so that's just in a slightly higher frequency range, which means the speeds you can get will be slightly faster. Um, we're planning our rollout and we'll be announcing more soon. Um, in the meantime, what we're doing is um, we've got the 5G starter fund that's launched um, because we fundamentally believe that 5G will transform the way that we live and work, um, but we don't think that we're the people that will come up with great ideas. We know that there are lots of Kiwis around around New Zealand who have got amazing ideas, and so we're trying to kind of foster that sense of um, Kiwi innovation um, and ingenuity yeah. and support businesses who have got some cool ideas to help bring them to life. So if, people, if some of our listeners have got you know good ideas yep. on, on how to really take advantage of 5G, what what do they need to um, to do as yeah. far as you know learning about your um, Spark 5G Starter Fund and yeah, and, there's a um, couple. Uh, there's a couple of things. Um, so we are running a series of webinars. The first one is on this Friday, um, and that's we've got uh, Joshua Ness who's. Uh, coming in from from the states, he's run the 5G Verizon lab, so he's going to have some good insights in terms of what can 5G do, um, just to help people understand how they can bring it to life. Um, and we'll have a series of those webinars. There's a website you can go to that'll tell you a bit more around um, 5G and the different capabilities. One moment, and I'll tell you what it is. Uh, it's spark.co.nz slash 5G starter fund. So pretty easy. Um, and you just need to put in your application before the 16th of August is when the applications okay. close. Yep, that's good. Yeah, I'm really keen on that, uh, that approach because as new technology comes along, I still remember... You know, hearing about the ultra fast broadband, and there were you know a bunch of people saying, "Why do we need those sort of speeds? It's lots of yeah. money to be, you know, throwing at it, and and so on." And certainly, I didn't have all the answers to exactly you know how we were going to use it, but. I definitely felt this is this was really important and was a really good move for New Zealand. I think you know five G, mm. you know, have, will have different applications in terms of you know where it brings us advantages, but similarities to the ultra fast broadband in terms of well, over time we're going to discover these things, and yeah. if we can be at the the right end of that, that's 
how we create startups. This is how we create export revenue for New Zealand. This is how we, uh, you know, increase our productivity locally and so on. So yeah, I'm I'm all for it. So yeah, yeah good, absolutely. Good initiative. I th- I think if you look at when you look at 4G and if we think about our smartphones and what they can do compared to the old BlackBerry, right? If you think of if you can imagine that step change again to 5G, um, we we I mean our tagline is let's see what this thing can do because we didn't know what um, Uber and Spotify would do. Um, we don't know what the 5G apps of the future will be. Probably yeah. the only thing I'd say is we're seeing this evolution of mobile technology is moving faster than the previous ones. So um, we think that the new applications will be coming thick and fast pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, I think a good way to look at it is how limited are you when you're just on 3G today? Like, Mm. what can't you do? And there's so much that we take for granted that just operates and operates really well in 4G, but Mm. if you're sort of outside of that coverage Mm. and you drop down to uh, 3G or, you know, 2G, whether it's because you're travelling overseas or, you know, you're just in in an area that doesn't have that sort of connectivity, there's suddenly a whole lot of a whole lot of things that aren't uh, possible. Oh, I'll just tether off my phone and, you know, get this done on my laptop and I'll Join that video call and oh no no I'll just sync these for oh no I can't do that and yeah, yeah and I you know I, I'm not in that position too often but when you are you you recognise just how much we rely on you know when well, I think we it'll have. be even more so like if you look at what 5G can do there's some amazing stuff you can do in the augmented reality stuff so if you apply that to education or to businesses being able to use augmented and just needing a, a phone or glasses yeah there's some really cool stuff you can do in there but also when you start looking at the future evolutions of, of the internet of things and having huge amounts of devices connected, video footage um, and the data that you can download um, becomes really important. There's an idea of you could um, be driving along the motorway and um, as you go past a 5G hotspot, quickly download the box set that you want to watch for the next part of the journey. Um, there's some pretty cool opportunities out there. Yeah, yeah. I was um, using one of the Oculus Rift um, headsets over the over the weekend. There's a place you can um, rent them, and um, it's it's basically just sort of all, you know all in one um, mm. headset, sort of you know un, untethered from you know you don't need a PC to drive it, and and so on. And look, it you know had some some built-in games and 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 content, and it wasn't really for me to use. Um, it was for my son and and, and his friends to uh, to use. Sure. But you know, of course, I had to, <laughs> had, had, to had, had to have a little bit of a play, right? That, that's what I do. Uh, and look, it, w- it was really neat, but you know, in terms of it sort of being pushed to the limits of sort of you know really leveraging you know live content and and the yeah. future of. Video conferencing and, the, and these sorts of things, yeah. you know, it was like, well, yeah, we're 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 still a little way off. In fact, I had a conversation um, la- last week. We go a little bit off topic here, but I did mean to include this in our, uh, in, our in our topics. Um, I had a discussion last week with a, um, a leading scientist in the um, in the area of sort of the the future of um, sort of virtual reality communications. Who Mm. works for Microsoft uh, and 
he was sort of talking on this topic. He works for Microsoft's research division, and and you know I guess Microsoft are one of those one of those companies that help invent the future by you know pouring you yeah. know, billions of dollars yeah. into their uh, R and D. And um, yeah, it, it was really fascinating, um, you know, hearing some of his thoughts. And he's been sort of involved since the, you know the very early days of virtual reality. Um, but what he was actually unveiling was. Um, and talking about with us, but sharing some scientific perspectives, was the new version of Microsoft Teams. Mm. Now, I'm not sure if you've seen any coverage just been in the last couple of couple of days, um, but they've sort of been experimenting with this this next version. Now, um, you know, we were asking him. Uh, there were varying sort of you know people from around the world that have been invited in on this call in terms of what that future might look like. But what they're going to be delivering with this uh, Teams update that's coming through over the next uh, few weeks is, um, you know, their... Uh, I guess it's their sort of you know AI that's built into Teams can, as we've seen with Zoom, can work out you know the person and separate you from the background, right? Yeah. And so they're taking that and then they're um, you know positioning people in seats. And so when you look at the screen, instead of seeing these you know big rectangles of a person with all their noisy background, um, basically we you know I was looking at him speaking, and there were about I don't know a dozen fifteen people. From from you know all around sort of Asia Pacific region, and and everyone was sort of seated, um, you know everyone was seated, yeah. And um, I guess it looked sort of um, I don't know you know conference cinema sort of style seating, so you could sort of see everyone stacked up, but um, you could interact kind of in ways you couldn't before, so you could point at people, you know yeah. you could actually raise raise your hand, and it was you know it was very clear because your hand would actually move out in Rather front of the other people, the and um, <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it was it was really cool and. And um, the, I guess, sort of the their research and learning have been, you know, looking into, um, you know, making that video conferencing and interaction sort of less taxing, yeah. and, and and you know, having people not so much kind of worn out by you know Zoom fatigue or, yeah. or Teams fatigue, whatever you Make whatever it, you yeah. call it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it did seem to be a, a much. Um, nicer experience but I am curious like w where could we get to with some sort of a full you know fully VR type uh, ex experience with that and I'm not quite sure how you do it if you've I mean at the moment you certainly you know you have to wear some sort of headset to see and that pretty big um, thing so how can you capture a bit of video of yourself talking when you've got this uh, big headset on so um, certainly what they're doing with teams sort of seems to be the yeah. the next step on that uh, on that journey of a yeah. you know, a, a nicer uh, experience. So, yeah, I yeah. mean, a part of what I enjoyed about the whole Teams experience was seeing what people decided to put as their background. You got these <laughs> yeah. amazing insights into people's personalities, whether it was a Star Trek lounge or a, a yep. beach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was um, plenty of plenty of variety. I think sort of started to uh, spring up, and then there were there were the surprises, and I, I won't embarrass anybody um, uh, from from our team in this office but um, um, there, there was somebody on our team who uh, uh, you know, uh, apparently had um, you know dressed their top half for, for being on uh, on the video call and then they stood up and you know for, for, forgot that um, I think there are a few the, of those the, stories the, oh, yeah. the, the striped pajamas <laughs> yeah. so um, um, so 
yeah, kind of kind of fun. The you know the the technology, but I, you know I think um, it's quite interesting though. Something small like that, while everybody was on Teams, made it something that they could personalise a little bit and take away just being on a. Um, multi-person screened meeting for yep. seven or eight hours a day and, it, and then we actually flipped over into using that technology for uh, social catch-ups at work and then that's when everyone's obviously yep. screen backgrounds went to the next level <laughs> yeah. but yeah it, it's that kind of moving the moving it away from just being a functional screen interaction it's quite interesting how that's going to change mm. the way people catch up virtually so. yeah I mean we did have a really interesting project um, in the five G lab that we've spoken about before that was the patients project which yep. was about helping kids that are in, in Starship or in, in hospital and giving them connectivity into their classroom so that they could sort of sit in with their classmates and interact in classes and just create that connection so there's some pretty cool um, pretty cool things you can do. Yeah yeah I'm you know I'm always curious when I hear the different things around 5G what you know what will need 5G what can we do with you know yep. ultra fast broadband and Wi-Fi connections and so on and I think you know these yeah, are totally. things that will evolve and we'll you know we'll work out you know where you where you don't do and do and don't need it but certainly you know the performance and the lack of latency all you know those things about it and then you know low power uh, as far as um, you know enabling internet of, of things you know all over the places yeah. Uh, yeah certainly gets me thinking and I did a test albeit not on uh, not on your network but with a um, Oppo phone that I've been uh, using um, over the last last few days to sort of you know see how does it how does it um, stack up and I did a little uh, speed test in, uh, in Newmarket, I don't get 5G, you know, where, where I live, um, and I was getting uh, 500 megabits per second sort of downloads. So yeah, um, yeah there's there's pretty you know some pretty impressive uh, performance. Yeah, I mean the target expectations for 5G is to get to one gig per second. So yeah. it's um, it's pretty quick. It's when you mix the the three pillars of 5G are the the speed and capacity of, of over a gig per second, um, the number of devices that you can connect, which is the IoT. So the density of devices that you can have in one space um, grows exponentially. And then the ultra-reliability, low latency. So uh, that's where the augmented reality, virtual reality starts to be able to be mobile. Because at the moment, if you do it with the latency, you get a bit car sick. Right. Um, you need that real low latency, real time for it to work. And when you collide those things together is where you start getting some really interesting ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, curious around... What it'll be like when we can have a driver, yeah, you know, driverless vehicle, yeah, and then uh, virtual reality, probably you know, five G driven while you're in your car, so mm. you can be moving, you know, somewhere in your vehicle, uh, but maybe having a you know whole different experience or, or interaction where you actually need to look where you're driving. It's interesting. There were a couple of concept cars at a conference I was at last year, the Mobile World Congress, which is like the um, consumer electronics for for mobile. For the mobile, and world, they had yes. concept cars that were autonomous. And when you take the need to steer and control the car and and the steering column out, mm. you end up with this big sort of open space that's like a room that becomes an entertainment area. It's really different. Yeah, I, I mean, there's so many 
things in that front that that I think are um, in the concept itself. The car itself becomes an advertising, a digital advertising thing with, with 5G. So I'd seen that even the year before. Mm. So no, you know, plenty of room inside for the experience and outside. You know, full digital signage, which requires that obviously right. high speed as well. Be, yeah, being being fed crazy. digitally, and, and, and it's almost like science fiction even better than it was you know with driverless cars 20 years ago it's the, the possibilities are endless so mm, mm. it's not just about pizza deliveries and the, you know for, for dominoes that they're trialling out you know there's a whole lot more we can be doing with it's, that it's, it's, <laughs> it's a real deal yeah yeah. well I, I think we, we do get kind of used to seeing a lot of these, these tech demos that you know yeah, maybe don't sort of connect up with with reality. Mm. Um, but uh, Tony, maybe you could tell us a little bit what's happening. And you know, we, we mentioned the Internet of Things, the, yeah. the so, world of, of IoT. What's happening there from uh, you know from a Spark uh, perspective? What are you sure. What are you up to? Yeah, well, look, there's a bridge to what we just talked about in the, the in the construction space at the moment for digital twin with 5G. That's a true 5G IoT use case. Um, and Why is that? Is you, um, need, you need that extra bandwidth compared to... The amount of data to download. So the digital twin, um, the experience of the digital twin about at construction level or even going to a pre-built place already and, and remapping it means that if you're going to use that stuff from a mobile perspective on site, you're going to need to download huge amounts of data. And then if you're going to walk around and have that experience as a, a, a virtual experience, it's got to have that speed. So that's a real use case. Um, um, not just at the planning stage. And then it works really well. We have a connected street with Auckland Transport at the moment and we're part of that has a, a building site that at the moment is basic around uh, digital twin stuff, but longer term that digital twin can be used to then also you'll have sensors, a connect, you'll have a connected building site and those sensors can actually show up on the digital twin and actually pop up with information on it. So you can have an inter- interactive experience through that digital twin and get the information that you want rather than just having a static dashboard come up. So that's one of those use cases. But along there too, there's the more standardised, you know, low power network um, opportunities we have. And that's around everything from we've got bin sensors in that smart street. We have... So what uh, that that means that you don't have to have someone running around checking yeah, whether right, the bins are full or not. They just are alerted. They get emptied when they need to get emptied. Exactly. And I guess you send a robot around to empty them. Well, eventually, yeah. But I mean, you know, the... the if you look at the uh, investment in trucks and people to go around and check bins regularly rather than it's telling you it's nearly full, go out and collect it, you know, there's efficiency and productivity saving straight away there. Um, and then obviously those are uh, long life battery powered so they don't require power, they measure their own power, and they have the ability to look at other things like has the bin fallen over, is it, you know, is it, is it damage and obviously there's location. So if, if anything's been stolen, um, parking is something that we're doing. So we've got parking sensors. We've got a more interactive um, parking uh, opportunity in there, and then there's environment sensing as well. So you know, humidity, uh, air pollution, noise pollution around the building sites. So that smart street, that sort of smart cities feel. That's a that's a real live. Uh, interactive trial with a number of partners. Is that something people can go and have a look yes, at we, and get we, a feel for what's going on? Yeah, well, at, at, in our labs, some of that uh, information is coming up um, through that, and we have tours going through there. So that'll be interactive, and that's going to continue to grow. 
Um, obviously, everything water is um, very relevant at the moment. You know, there's water shortages. There are uh, uh, everything from water usage, the interaction from the end user right through to water infrastructure. There's, you know, millions a year lost and damaged water pipes from everything from flooding. And then there's the overall efficiency of water usage. And then there's water quality. Mm. So all of those things, are, uh, that, that's bubbling up as the, excuse the pun, second um, opportunity that's come through after the electricity meeting re- refresh. So we've obviously worked with Vector and IntelliHub on rolling out, um, you know, low power network connectivity. We've, that, that's going out there. And again, there's efficiency and productivity gains to, to go through there. Um, I think we see one of the next big areas around asset management and health and safety and also environmental monitoring coming through. Yep. And a lot of the local and international partners uh, are heavily involved in that. So plenty on. Right? Yeah, and we work yeah, as full end to end stack on that stuff. And to your point before, partners, both international and local, are key to that. We're a network provider, but you know we, we want to work with smart people, putting out smart solutions for New Zealanders. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and our catchphrase is connecting New Zealanders to the things that matter. But that's actually after COVID, that's a really important message. I think mm. there is a lot of things out there that matter to New Zealanders, and if we're going to recover through, you know, to get productivity and economic recovery, there's lots of opportunity in this space. Yeah, well, I think you know, as a country, we have. I guess as every country does, you know, lots of challenges, and we need to be leveraging, you know, technology where where it's appropriate to, you know, help us be more successful as a uh, as a country. And yeah, I'm I'm certainly very keen to see how these things develop, and uh, yeah, maybe hearing in, in future, you know, a bit more of of you know some of the sort of real use cases as as things go from sort of trials and and, and tests. And mm. you know, at at the moment, you know, I think there's a there's a there's a lot that we hear. Around 5G coming, around uh, Internet of Internet of Things, but yeah, there's probably not so many sort of you know awesome examples. Then again, when when there are examples, very soon they're just that's just blase because that's just that's just the norm and and we we're used to it. I guess we take these things for granted very quickly, don't we? The world yeah. the world changes quickly, and uh, we we just accept that's the that's the way it is, and our expectations keep rising. Yeah, I think for us, we're just we're about working out what the right customer problems are that we need to help solve with technology. So not just using technology for technology's sake, but actually, what's the problem that it's going to solve, and what's the productivity or efficiency that's going to be gained out of it, so that it's actually valuable um, in terms of what we're rolling out. Yeah, and that's where I guess the partnerships, you know, come in. And you know, there's some there's some pretty interesting startups around uh, New Zealand at the moment, and certainly mm. some in the in you know who are really you know using um, Internet of Things type type devices. Um, so yeah, we'll, yeah, we definitely need to have a few more episodes where we you know delve into some of, some awesome. of those things that are you know going on on our you know rural locations and farms and yeah a bit more of an understanding of what's happening in the cities. But yeah, as we solve these different challenges, you know certainly my hope is that we don't just sort of you know solve them for for Kiwis, but you know hopefully we solve things you know quicker and better than than others and uh, generate some more export opportunities for the country.
Yeah, the next Soul Machines. Yeah, bring it on. Well, great to chat to you both. Thanks, Renee. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. And yeah, we'll we'll certainly look forward to hearing more on these subjects. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. We will be back again next week with another episode of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. And don't forget to uh, look out on our social channels. So if you're on LinkedIn, you can now uh, find us there. And of course, most episodes now, at least half our episodes, uh, tend to be streaming across on Facebook, uh, YouTube, and uh, and often uh, Twitter slash Periscope as well. And yeah, bits and pieces of content coming through there. So, um, And thank you again to Spark for your uh, huge support of the New Zealand Tech Podcast and for um, this update and looping us in on what's, uh, what's happening in the world of Spark. Our pleasure. Thanks, Thanks. Paul. Great. Appreciate it. Cheers. New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community. Proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Thank you.